All right, we're going to, I, I, I half did my message last week, and so I'm going to try to finish it today. So if you guys will pop the scripture up there, we'll read it real quick, and then we'll dive in. This is Matthew 2. This is uh, diving into the story of Jesus' birth uh, from Matthew's gospel. So Matthew 2, uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, and let's say this next phrase together, during the time of King Herod. Now, this isn't quite meant to edify you the way some other verses would. This is meant to inform you, all right? During the time of King Herod. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. I'm going to talk to you about those five words, during the time of King Herod. And the last week I talked to you about that. And uh, But, you know, the guy reigned for like 40 years. So we just it's a throwaway there's five throwaway words for most of us. How many, like me, when you read this, I don't know what that means. Next. Give me something good. I got to go to work today. Anybody? During the time of King Herod. I don't know what that means. So last week we got into it, but I mean, we, we got just the surface of Herod. I mean, we had, he, we had only killed four people and I had to close the service, right? We have a lot more people to kill to understand Herod, all right? Forty years the guy rules. So just to try to get some concept of 40 years, how would we do that? Um, well, we could think back, like, this is at the, by the way, this is near the end of his 40-year reign, right? So he started when he was around 25, he's near his 70s now, and uh, he's, it's, he's closing the book here. Um, when Jesus is born. Um... Think back 35 years ago. Think back. I mean, I remember 35 years ago-ish, maybe 37, maybe anybody that old here? Some of you, some of you are three times that. Some of you have no idea what. Huh. Anybody remember 1980? Huh? What was going on back then? I remember sitting in the back of the house in Flint there, watching the news, and I didn't know much about news at that time. I think ESPN had just come out, and that was my palette right there. That was about my expanse. But I remember as a young, young kid watching uh, a transition of power between Carter and Reagan and the hostages, and it was all this on TV. Anybody remember that? I mean, oh, that was, that, that's a while ago. That's how long hair has been ruling. Huh? What? Please, sir, stay out of my message, all right, if you can. Please. What I'm trying to say is when they say during the time of King Herod, you've got to think about that expanse of time till today. And one guy in power who we learned last week was quite the despot. During the time, so it's a loaded phrase that everybody then who read it got, and we don't. So I'm going to help us try to get it, and I might spend too much time on it, and I apologize. This could be really bad. I mean, I was talking to Jeff; he's doing this really cool Christmas series on the Grinch and how to have a better heart, and I'm like, oh, our church is screwed. I mean, I'm doing a history lesson on Herod, so I, I'll just call Herod the Grinch, and then we'll try to make a tie-in. Uh, Herod is, I mean, this is, this is, but everybody, everybody knew 
This was something that everybody knew, an evil, evil, evil person who wormed his way into power. And as we learned last week, I think by last week he had killed his wife. You know, he discarded Doris. Remember, Doris, the first wife, because he had to marry a Jew to kind of get in good with the Jews because he was going to rule them and be their king. So he told Doris, sorry, babe, head for the desert. And she says, what do we do with the three-year-old son? And he says, take him. True. So Doris and the three-year-old, they're gone, and then he gets Miriam, and they marry, and she's a, she's a Jewish princess, but, you know, things aren't going that well, and he has her brother-in-law killed, dude. he made the high priest. Well, he drowned in a pool, and on and on, right? So two of his sons are now killed. Son, just think for a minute. Killed two of his children now. He's killed his wife, he's killed his brother-in-law, killed his wife's... A parent killed two of his own children. This is important for a lot of reasons. But one of the biggest reasons that this is important is because so often we misread the Bible. We misread it. So I sort of have a passion, and it's to try to help us reread it. Okay? So how many will say, I'll give it a go. I'll, I'll go along with you. Now, like this Thursday night, I'm doing a thing for a guys, which is like a guys Bible study. And, and last time we got together, I did it on Revelation. I talked about how to reread it, right? And um, people like going to those because I just, they, they find out what I really think about things because I have my filters a little reduced. If you think it's bad here, you should go to one of those, all right? So Thursday night, I, I do this with, I'm, I'm do, this Thursday, I'm doing it with the guys, and, and it's, a, it's a look at how to look at things differently. But the thing is this, if we miss what Matthew wrote there in the time of King Herod, we kind of miss the whole story. This is the setup. He wants to make a contrast between this king and what? Another king. He's coming. We're getting to him. All right. And they, they contrast in so many ways. And so Herod provides the perfect backdrop. Any, any artists here? Anybody paint? No, nobody does anything. Oh my goodness. Uh, you you got to have a backdrop. You got to have something to make it pop, right? So Herod's going to make, he's the canvas, he's gonna, and Christ is going to pop. The color is going to pop against Herod. So he has to go on. So we did a lot with Herod, but let me just, a little bit more. Um, we talked about how Herod would pretty much kill anybody that was a threat to him, as we saw, even his own family. And uh, the, the other thing that we should know or say about Herod is um, he... He was known for his prowess as a, as a builder. He built some amazing structures. And um, I'm going to show you a few. And I think if you guys can help me, we'll roll through a few of them here. And I'll just walk you through. So if you ever uh, get to travel to, to uh, Israel, some of you probably have had that privilege. You've seen some of these structures. So let me just show you this one. Now, before you look at this mountain, I just need to tell you something about it. Herod was out on a horse riding, running for his life, as kings did in those days from time to time when another empire comes in to take off. And he's at, this is the middle of the desert. 
and he learns that his troops had fought these people off and that he was actually going to live. So he says, this is where I learned that I was going to get to live. And he says, you know, what should we do here? And he goes, how about we build a mountain? That's a man-made mountain. Herod built 2,000 years ago. That's the kind of thing you do when you're a king who's nuts. Let's build a mountain. Let me show you inside the mountain. I think there's a couple more pictures. And so the mountain is man-made. There's a view from the top. And it had four towers surrounding it. These towers had seven-story apartments in them. There was a pool in there, a pool so big you could have boat rides in the pool. Did I mention this is in the desert? This guy was the heck of a builder. He was loaded beyond belief. I'll give you another picture there. This will show you an artist's rendering of what that hill, probably what they believe as they're excavating it, what it looked like in its day. Um, so Herod's no slouch. Um, I'll show you a couple more things that he was known for. Uh, Herod built, um, in, in a, a little further down towards the, towards the Dead Sea, a place called Masada. Now, that's more of a natural rock formation. Um, it's like a, I, I can't remember. It's like 100 meters in there. You can walk, and it takes forever to walk. We took a trolley to the top, right? They have a cable car that goes up there now. Um, very few of these ruins are left, but you can see it's like a four-tiered palace that's up on a flat plateau in the middle of nowhere. This is just another one of his places. This, can I say it frankly, this was his Florida house. Basically, that's where he went for the winter, right? Um, He was most known for uh, and, and I could talk about the, the big, he, he built the biggest harbor in the world at the time called Caesarea Maritima. Caesarea Maritima. Why would you call something Caesarea Maritima? In case some guy named Caesar came by and you wanted to impress him, right? Um, uh, all right so then his most famous, this is the, this, like an artist's rendering. We don't know obviously exactly, but they're getting close with all the excavations. The city of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. Now, if you've been here for long, you've heard me talk about how the temple imposed on the city of Jerusalem. In other words, the temple wasn't a thing you might stumble onto if you worked hard enough to get around Jerusalem. How many know that is the thing in Jerusalem? You see it up there, the big monstrosity of a building that takes up a third of the city? This temple, it was Herod's building. He built that thing. 36 acres. Right? Now, the other thing you maybe want to make a note of is it's on the top of a mountain. So, in the desert, he has a flat thing and he builds a mountain. In the mountains, he builds a flat thing on the top of a mountain. Because he want, no, he built retaining walls around this mountaintop. These retaining walls are massive. My brother actually had a business building retaining walls, right? Subways and all. I mean, this thing made anybody put to shame. 80 ton, 80 ton stones. 80 ton. To this day, they don't know how Herod did that. 
What am I trying to say about this guy? In the time of King Herod, I'm trying to say it's not a throwaway line in the Bible. When you said Herod, there was awe, there was fear, there was respect, there was dread, there was power, unheralded. Like it. So let me show you back to this um, Temple Mount. You know, this was important. He wanted to impress the Jews. And so he started building this thing, I think around 22 BC. I think he dedicated it around 10. So it took him 10 to 12 years to build, as you can tell, 10,000 workers, 10,000 workers. You can see how tall it is. You can still go to the corner that's, that's closest to the bottom of the picture. To this day, that's what they call the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. And I think we even, we'll have a picture of that here in a minute. But on the top of this, well, there it is. That's that bottom corner. There you go. Bottom left, right? On the top of this, they estimate you would put about 200, ready, and 50,000 people. It's the original big house. It's the big house times two. So what you're starting to get a, a handle on is the massive power and influence that this guy had, not just in Judea or Jerusalem, but around the world, as he was good friends with those that ruled in Rome itself. Herod, can I just say it? In, the, in those days was the man. And you ever been around somebody that always wanted to be around people that were famous? Herod was always hobnobbing with the emperor. Always hanging out with Cleopatra. When Herod first came into power, he was fleeing uh, down on a horseback through the, 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 the desert, fleeing towards Egypt. He bumps into Cleopatra. And down in Egypt, and she's, you know, ruling there. And, and she says, well, if they're taking your kingdom from you, you know, uh, you, could, you could have a spot in my military. And he goes, ah, nah, Cleo. I mean, it'd be good. But, you know, I, you know, I, I got to go back there. My family's back there. And she loans him a ship, you know, Cleopatra's. And he sails it across, gets in kind of a shipwreck, or limps the thing in, changes ships, gets to Rome, and gets appointed there. Gets appointed in Rome by, right, Octavian, right, and Mark Antony. And they come out of the Senate and they talk the Senate into it and they declared, the whole Senate declared him. It was a huge day. They had a huge banquet. This is Herod. This is Herod, the king of the Jews. Oh, that was Herod's heyday. He was 27 years old. Can you imagine that? Huh? What a Facebook post that would be, brothers and sisters. 27 years, right? You're, you're, I mean, you're killing it. He's in there in this huge banquet. He's just soaking it off. Now, he has to get an army and go back and take the land back from this Parthian empire that invaded Rome's territory, right? He has to go back and win all these battles, but he's got Rome's resources now, right? So he makes his way back towards the north in Galilee where, you know, he had ruled as sort of a sheriff under his dad back in the early days. And he had some loyal people there with a lot of money that he had from Rome. 
He gets about 6,000 troops. He takes over a few cities. And then finally, two years later, he conquers Jerusalem again. And now he's set. But this guy has killed a lot of people so far. We haven't even got to his family yet. Herod, the thing to know is Herod got to where he was by the execution of power, conniving, and brute force. In other words, if you don't agree, if you don't go my way, I will just kill you. Which actually was how Rome did things. They call it the Pax Romana, right? But really what what it was about is like, agree or die. Agree or die. Join or die. Declare Caesar is Lord or die. Everybody's like, Caesar's Lord. Caesar is Lord. And they had these sayings, Caesar is Lord. What if, just for grins, what's to say, what if I came up today and I had a blue ball cap on? And on my blue ball cap, you're like, what does that say? And as you zeroed in my blue ball cap, it said, make America great again. Many of you would walk out and go, man, that Chris is so innovative. The things he thinks of. What a catchy slogan. Wouldn't you? If, if 2,000 2, years later, I was worshipped wildly across the earth, and people said, you know, Chris started this thing, make America great again, with a blue ball cap, you would laugh and you'd say, no, he didn't start that. He was, what, making sport of it. I didn't. I said, if I did. The blue and the red. Are, do any of you get out? Do any of you watch TV? Or I feel like I'm not connecting, and I thought I would at some point. So this, the phrase that I would use, you would right away go, that's not your phrase. You're what? Cherry picking. You're, you're, spoof, you're spoofing. You're, you're doing something with a phrase that's already out there. Would you, how many would agree with that? Okay, like, duh. This is a duh moment. So here's the problem. Here's the problem. Ready? We read the Bible so much and we've read it so often. We've heard these phrases and we miss the main thing. We think these guys writing the Bible invented all these phrases. He's the king of the Jews. No, it's a spoof on what? The other guy who thought he was the king of the Jews. Uh, Let's try this one. Acts 4.12. This is Peter getting up to give a message. And uh, he says... Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. Right? How many of you ever heard this verse before? And you're Baptist, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I'm fawning you. Relax. All right. So this is what we heard, and like this is how, so. Th- what we read is this is how you get to heaven. Now, if I permit me. They didn't have red hats, but what did the emperors do when they wanted to give a message or a slogan? Caesar is Lord. They would print them on coins. Coins. Coins were the red hats of their day. 
And they would say, Caesar is Lord. Guess what they had in one of the coins? What was one of the slogans? There is no other name under heaven given by which mankind can be saved than the name Caesar. What is Peter trying to say? There's a new sheriff in town without the holster, but we'll get to that. There's no way you would credit me for saying Chris invented this great phrase, make America great again. You would right away get, no, he's spinning what's going on in popular culture. The problem is we have no clue, most of us, what was going on in those days. So a smidgen of research, all of a sudden you start to realize that phrase after phrase after phrase is a, is a steal from what everybody was saying out in popular culture in that day. There's somebody else is going to rescue us. Not Caesar, not with the swords and the crucifixions. And they would ride into town. And if you said Caesar is Lord, they'd say, yeah, yeah, he is. If you didn't, then they would just crucify you. Documented. Not, not Chris make documented. Ride into a town. Uh, Caesar's Lord of this. And everybody nods. Yeah, yep, yep. Where, where do we pay our taxes? And if you didn't, well, they crucified you. What is the whole gospel story about? A new kind of king. A new way. And remember the prophets and the government will be upon his shoulders. A whole new way of doing this thing that people were saying, I think I could buy into that. I'm kind of tired of all the people dying. Think about this. Herod represents a way of living life. An entire way of living life. With your head on a swivel. Fear. Insecurity. Right? Gripping power. Jesus comes into the scene. He is the opposite of Herod. Can you, are you getting it now? The backdrop's been set, and now this baby is born, right, in a feeding trough, in a little cave house with the animals. All of Herod's, you saw his palaces, they were fortresses. I didn't even get to do them all. They were everywhere. Fortresses. Why? Why do you build a fortress? Because you don't want to die. Because you assume most people want to kill you. Jesus doesn't have a fortress. He's got a manger. He's painting a picture for us that says there's a completely different way to live if you're willing to consider it. Herod was image conscious. Herod was worried about what did people think about him. He had to please the Romans. He had to try to please the Jews. He was trying to get people to like him. He built the temple. He's trying to impress people. Now, let me just say a couple things. Wanting to be liked is normal. I actually like to be liked. Anybody else? It's kind of nicer if people like you. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be liked. I think that's actually an admirable quality. But how many know it can go too far? Where the obsession 
becomes, I need to be liked. I need your approval of me. I can't feel good about myself until you feel good about me. And now I will bend and shape who I am just so you will please feel good about me. So that you would, quote, like me. It can be a slippery slope. If you're a parent, you probably want to go home and watch this TED Talk by a guy named Simon Sinek. Now, Simon, if you watch TED Talks at all, you'll probably know, I think, if I'm accurate, Simon Sinek has the most widely watched TED Talk uh, ever. But it's not that one that I want you to watch. There's another one. I don't know the name of it, but if you do a little research, you'll, you'll find it quick. And he talks about the next generation that's coming up and their phones. Anybody having this challenge? And he's, he, he starts to talk about, they've done research, and here's what they're finding out. You ever been in a conversation with somebody, but you really weren't in the conversation because all they did is look down at their phone? And now you, they have habits, and you, we always have nervous habits where we grab, uh, we're standing there, and we have a minute to kill or 10 seconds, and you just have to hit your Twitter feed or your Facebook or your Snapchat or whatever it is, and you've got to be connected. You've got to be online. Listen. Scientific research, this is what they're finding out. You go to your social media page and you get something liked. Feels good. Why? Because we all like to be liked. And on social media, you can pretend that things are better than they are. I mean, no one would do that, but I suppose you could. All your pictures could be glamorous and from above with no chin hanging and all of these things that some people might be interested in, right? And all of the, and, and you're always in exotic places and doing wonderful things. You're never just bored. And so you post something and then somebody likes it. And this is what they're finding out, scientists. When a, when a student sees that and they get a like, he said, they get a hit of dopamine in their brain. Dopamine? Dopamine. Ain't that, ain't that the stuff that you got a hit of when you were a kid and you didn't have social media, Dad? That dopamine. Dopa dopamine. A chemical that's released in the brain from something, right? And we regulate those things. We have laws about you aren't ready or old enough to handle this injection in your brain. Until a certain age, you can't do it. It's against the law. So what do we do? You can get a hit another way. At a time in life, especially for teenagers, right? At a time in life when they're most vulnerable to the idea of self-image and how do I look, right? And am I approved these are the things. This is what they're finding out. So you know what the answer is? I have no idea. I just know the problem, all right? I have no idea. I'm like the rest of you. Who knows? I don't know. And if somebody tells you, they're probably lying too. Here's the thing. We should know about it. We should know what we're dealing with. 
We should be aware that a student or a young adult, at an, not to mention older adults, but are vulnerable to this idea of needing to be liked. And it's its own slippery slope. They're not going to turn into Herod. That's not what I'm saying. But they are going to struggle if they need the dopamine all the time. We have to inject something else. Can you imagine Herod's Facebook page? Huh? He probably had no likes of anything, right? He's putting people on. He's forcing people. Let me tell you the end of Herod's. I don't know if you know this. You write to people, you will like my Facebook page. Yes, sir. You say, oh, you're exaggerating. Oh, I'm not exaggerating. When Herod died, he was near the end of his life. He knew he was going to die. He had several people arrested. Now, I've heard different stories about the details of the arrest, um, but they were influential citizens is one of the things that we know. They were probably students, but we're not 100% sure. And they were probably doing vandalism of some sort, but they were well-liked. So they would have been part of like a student movement. So at one point, Herod puts a Roman eagle in the temple. And that, if you're a Jewish, you're like, you can't do that. That's desecrating the temple. So these would have been the young college kids that went out there and ripped it down. But they were popular among their peers. Like, hey, these guys are giving it to Herod. Herod rounds them up. True story. Takes them to Jericho, confines them, and gives the order because he knew that no one would cry when he died. He made an order for these very popular young men to be executed the minute that he died so that people would cry when he died. Did I mention he was a little jacked up? <laughs> Read your history, it's there. Thankfully, they didn't do it because he's gone. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Right? I mean, it's, it's over. They didn't do it. But that was the plan he devised. How many know this guy was messed up? How many know now you'll never read Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 the same again? In the time of King Herod. Matthew's just setting a backdrop so he can paint the manger scene. Right? So he can give you Jesus. But you've got to see the pop. Huh? Some of you are colorblind. I mean, you know, like, you, you, you're, it's messed up for you. The way you dress. You know what I mean? The whole thing. You need, you need approval. You, got, am I, you know what I mean? Matthew was making something happen here that every artist could see right away. He was making Jesus pop, not as a power figure, but as a servant. That he was going to do something completely different. Herod's way was power and might, and might is always right. And he was going to push his way. You ever been around a pushy person? If they can't get their way, they push. They push. Herod was the pushy to the extreme. Jesus is the opposite. The lamb. The lamb. But who changed the world? Oh, I don't have any more time. He changed the world through humility, through serving, through sacrifice. And eventually, not by killing, but by dying. That's the Jesus we serve. He's our hero.
He's our role model. He's our Savior. 